0: Welcome to the Wirecard Saga, a podcast with Tom Fox and Mikhail Ryder Gordon, Managing Director of Institutional Ethics and Integrity at Affiliated Monitors. Over this podcast series, we're going to take a deep dive into the Wirecard Saga to see where it may take us literally across the globe. Mikhail Ryder Gordon and myself continue our exploration of all things Wirecard with our Who Watches the Watchers edition. We take a deep dive into why regulators were investing in Wirecard while regulating it, EY clams up, a plethora of whistleblowers, and investigating crimes or not. All in this episode. I know you will enjoy it. Hello everyone, this is Tom Fox back for another episode of the Wirecard Sagas. As always, joined by Mikhail Ryder-Gordon, we are here to talk about all things Wirecard. Mikhail, welcome back. Thanks,
1: Tom. Welcome back, listeners. Yes, all things Wirecard. Uh, You know, I thought for those of you who haven't been listening for the past seven months, uh, I just thought I'd do a quick roll-up of what we talk about here. (laughs) Uh, I examine on this podcast all things related to Wirecard, right? This is the Germany-based global fintech that a year ago, was listed on the DAX 30, had a $24 billion market capitalization, 33 subsidiaries. They casually mentioned in June that yeah, billions it claimed to hold in cash didn't actually exist and that yeah, it had been faking its client roster for years. Uh, the company imploded in a matter of days. The ripple effects are what we focus on here, on that corporate failure rock landing in the center of the pool And and those ripples, they continue to be felt. Call them more like waves. Investigation to being conducted by regulators in at least half a dozen countries. At least seven of the company's top executives, including its former CEO, COO, and CFO, are implicated in the frauds, and some of them are languishing in prison right now, waiting trial. They're not guilty yet. Uh, And some 250 employees identified as having at least known about the frauds. The scandal yet may bring down the German arm of a big four. EY, we're talking about you. It has implicated a score of law firms, accounting firms, and consultancies who appear to have been maybe enabling the company's deception to crimes. Investors have lost some $4 billion. The number still keeps rising. Regulatory oversight failures are leading to significant changes to legislation in multiple countries, not just Germany. Uh, The political fallout for Germany and even arguably for the EU cannot be underestimated here, reaching the top of the German government and prompting the country's parliament to have formed an investigative committee who are presently holding hearings. The company's activities and links to intelligence agencies in multiple countries are leading to some, mm, let's call them awkward questions, and surfacing serious security weaknesses. The entire Dabacle is emblematic of the hijacking of Western financial institutions by Russian kleptocrats, transnational organized crime, as all evidence points to Wirecard having never been intended to be legitimate. Rather, its primary purpose was to function as a global laundromat for all manner of illicit activity, including funneling state-sponsored funding to dictators, sowing political violence. So each week, we start with a roundup of what's emerged or evolved over the past week, And for the past month, we've really been starting with the German German Bundestags Investigative Committee or the IC as we call it. And because there is so much more to the frauds than not just genuinely possessing those billions the company said to, uh, to have held, each week we'd like to dive into specific elements of Wirecard and turn some rocks over. So with that, let's open with what the IC learned this week. We'll start with their astonishment and really their amazement, shock, surprise. It's it's becoming habitual. <laughs> At the hearings this week, the IC grilled high-level representatives from the German Chancellery, the Bundesbank, that's the Central Bank of Germany, the Ministry of Finance and some former senior government folks turned lobbyists. They wanted to understand just what sort of government support had been given to Wirecard, remember, a private company, and understand just how much and when the German government knew about Wirecard's crimes. Their astonishment, it came at learning how little research the German chancellor's office performs prior to making a government strong case on behalf of a German private company to a foreign government. Here's IC member MP Daniel Baez's question to Michael Papajorju of the German Central Bank. Now, Papa Joju happened to be seconded to the German embassy in Beijing at the time Wirecard was trying to acquire a Chinese payment processor. his question regarding the chancellery's due diligence. Someone like you just Googled it. That was it? Papa Joju's answer. Internet research is part of the process. And then he let slip that the chancellery may have neglected to coordinate with the Ministry of Finance on this one. And that brings us to our theme today. Everything you want is on the internet. Background on a company? Well, Google it. If Google doesn't display negative information, the company must be okay. Forget the companies that craft online reputations for tens of thousands of dollars. Forget search engine optimization. Forget personalization of results. Forget the narrowness a single language search will return. Forget it all. What else do people want online? (laughs) Well, porn and a way to wager their money away, gambling. Online sectors that built Wirecard are arguably really the only sectors outside of laundering that ever turned a profit for Wirecard. Okay, we'll return to that in a moment, but let's get back to what else the IC learned in the hearings this week the IC had called former German defense minister who had also served as minister of economic affairs in Angela Merkel's government from 2009 to 2011 Karl Theodor zu Gutenberg now zu Gutenberg had turned mm, we call it lobbyist he calls it consulting after leaving government Now, let's back up just a moment actually zu Gutenberg had been forced to leave government where he was well thought of because it had come out that he had plagiarized his doctoral dissertation. So no problem with an ethical compass there. He'd moved to the U.S. for a time and then returned to Germany and set up a consultancy known as Spitzberg Partners, and that by all standards would be considered a lobbying firm. Only, as you'll hear, Zu Gutenberg strenuously denies lobbying. One of his clients, beginning in 2016, was Wirecard. Now, Zul Gutenberg described to the IC that back in 2016, his work for Wirecard was about contacts he had in the American IT scene and his ability to help Wirecard identify possible US payment processors for acquisition by the company. He and Wirecard agreed the future was blockchain technology for financial transactions. An important contact with Gutenberg at Wirecard was the head of Wirecard's business development George von Waldenfels. The Gutenberg family and the Waldenfels family had been longtime friends. Listeners, put that name, George von Waldenfels, in your pocket, because it's going to magically reappear in just a moment. In March 2018, Gutenberg's company received another remit from Wirecard, and this effort would run from March 2018 until literally... Wirecard collapses in June 2020. The remit? Help Wirecard gain market entry into China. Now, remember, if you've been listening for the past seven months, you you know this intimately by now, that allegations about Wirecard and its tendency to be mm, economical with the truth have been publicized since 2015. And by 2019, An active investigation is going in Singapore. Media articles are coming out left and right. Short sellers have been baying uh, for, for Wirecard's fall for a decade. Now, some of these articles and some of these reports had significant supporting documentation, and they're being published accusing Wirecard of fraudulent deals. Still, despite the increasing criticism of Wirecard, Contacts at the highest level of German government take place in late summer 2019, all thanks to Gutenberg. Gutenberg whispered in the ear of German Chancellor Angela Merkel, quote, in the course of our conversation, the German Chancellor mentioned an imminent trip to China, Gutenberg said. Quote, I mentioned that a young DAX company is currently planning to enter the market in China. Wirecard needs the backing of the German government and the Chinese economic system in order for the takeover of this Chinese company to succeed, Wirecard was aiming to acquire a Chinese company. After the conversation with the chancellor, Gutenberg's staff put together for the chancellor's economic advisor, Lars-Hendrik Roller facts about Wirecard. And sure enough, on an official state visit to the PRC, meeting with G in September 2019, Merkel mentioned Wirecard's ambitions. Mm-hmm. Simultaneously, a colleague on Gutenberg's, of Gutenberg's at his company, Spitsburg Partners, established contact with the Federal Ministry of Finance. Now, he apparently attached a draft letter. Um, he gave this draft letter to State Secretary Wolfgang Schmidt, uh, who the German government, and said you can use this to support Wirecard and the argument for Wirecard. Now, according to Gutenberg, whether some of these formulations, as he calls them, were used is unknown to me. Now, the IC rightly focused on this interaction between a politically well-connected economic advisor with the chancellor in the federal ministries. They particularly wanted to understand which German institutions which had failed so many, citizens, investors, being mm, two of the large categories, by overlooking the problems with Wirecard for mm, a little too long. They didn't outright accuse Gutenberg of doing anything illegal, but they did want to gain a better handle on just how influential he was with the government with respect to Wirecard. Now, zu Gutenberg told the IC, he met with the chancellor about mm, once a year even after he moved to the private sector. He claimed that said chit-chats were personal in nature, and thus, conveniently, no minutes or recordations of these conversations were ever drawn up, as the exchange- exchanges were confidential. <coughs> uh huh. Quote Gutenberg, In all the years that I've known Chancellor Merkel, I've developed a very trustful relationship. Hmm. Despite Gutenberg and his company's work, Gutenberg refuses to be categorized as a lobbyist or lobbying firm. IC members expressed yet more astonishment at this. MP Matthias Hauer had asked Gutenberg, where exactly do you see the demarcation line between these fields of activity, consulting and lobbying? Gutenberg admitted, well, yeah, contacting the embassy and the chancellor's office could fall under the definition of lobbying. However, he was not employed as a lobbyist and Spitzberg Partners doesn't describe itself as a lobbying firm. (laughs) Well, if you don't call it a doc, it may quack and waddle like one, but it can't be a doc, right? Is there anyone anywhere who actually ascribes truth anymore, rather than creating their own reality and calling it truth? ICMP Jens Zimmerman tried to establish the connection between the consulting consulting fees earned by Gutenberg and Spitford Partners and Gutenberg's contacts as a former government minister. Even if he wasn't primarily hired as a lobbyist, quote, if you now use good contacts in which I find nothing reprehensible to make a deal such as wire cards in China possible, then you would also have benefited financially from it, Zimmerman asked. Gutenberg rejected this and said, well, it's an indirect understanding. It's not paid lobbying. Nine-nine, the payment was purely dependent on the success of the takeover in in China. Then he said, after all, I was only being paid between 10 and 20,000 euros a month for my work on Wirecard, and that really, it's relatively a low rate. Poor Kutenberg and Spitzberg partners. They didn't even get paid by Wirecard for their work on the China deal because Wirecard collapsed before the payment was made. So they had to make do with settling, his words, not mine, for 760,000 euros for his services to Wirecard in the U.S. <laughs> so was the takeover successful? Yeah. Wirecard was the first European company to take over a Chinese payment service provider completely. In November 2019, Wirecard announced its plan to gradually acquire a stake in PRC company Allscore Payment Services. Spitzberg Partners provided assistance from eh, actually multiple angles. And the German government, thanks to Gutenberg's effort, played a significant role in this. The Economic Department of the German Embassy in Beijing, for example, accompanied the takeover attempt through contacts with the Chinese Central Bank. We'll come back to the bank in a minute. By December 2019, guess who was listed as directors of all score payments in China? George von Waldenfeld and Stefan van Erfra from Wirecard. Told you to keep that Waldenfeld name in your pocket. Wirecard took an 80% stake of all in, in Allscore. Now the deal saw Wirecard making a cash payment including a capital increase of Allscore payment services of up to 72 euros uh, 72 million euros and agreeing to an earnout payment of an additional 16 million euros plus in 2020 which obviously didn't get completed. This was the deal that Frank Stahl the partner of Baker Tilly handled the due diligence on, he who also handled the due diligence of those dodgy Wirecard India deals, and who clammed up at the IC hearings the other week. So what happened to Allscore, or Wirecard PRC as we may think of it? In late April 2020, Allscore managed to receive the biggest fine ever given to a third-party payment company in China. That's saying something. Go big or go home. 65.9 million yen, and that's about a little over 9 million US dollars, in fines and forfeiture of another 50 million yen for illegal gains. What for? Well, 16 separate offenses, including inflated profits, false merchant names, and fake merchants. Doesn't that sound familiar? But most importantly, AllScore was punished primarily for providing payment services for illegal gambling websites. According to a Chinese news outlet Kaijin, the illegal gains of more than 50 million yen were all linked to providing both payment processing to illicit gambling sites. In the PRC, online and offline gambling are illegal, except for some state sponsored uh, lotteries by the government the chairman of Allscore was also fined 450,000 yen for his involvement in these violations. But this wasn't the first time uh, Lin Yao had been punished for such activities, Lin Yao being the chairman of Allscore. He'd previously been investigated and detained by Chinese police for running payment channels for illegal gambling websites, which the first time drew a penalty of some 60 million yen for the company. And at that time, several people, several employees of Allscore had been detained. Now, providing payment services for illegal activities is one of the largest sources of regulatory violations in the payment sector. In fact, according to Fan Yifei, China's central bank deputy governor, the People's Bank of China, who are the regulator, they fielded some 3,200 payment industry complaints, or 70%, which related to banks and payment companies suspected of providing payment services for illegal activities such as gambling. And for particularly playing fast and loose with customer KYC and due diligence, building in loopholes for customers to create accounts with phony information. And listeners, hold on to that idea because that's what we're going to get into on another episode. Now, the PBOC, People's Bank of China, the regulator, also found that Allscore, the company, seemed to have embezzled customer funds deposited in prepaid cards. Now, the PBOC notice that was issued didn't disclose how much money was embezzled, but at least Allscore, under its Wirecard leadership, was consistent with its parent company model. So let's turn back to the influence of the German government on this deal. Gutenberg defended his work for Wirecard, telling the IC, quote, If we'd known that the business was based on fraud, we would never have advised this DAX company. Gutenberg then detailed his rather peculiar interactions with former CEO Marcus Braun, saying he'd only met Braun a few times, but each encounter was, quote, bizarre. He recounted Braun seemed, quote, strangely spiritualized and at these meetings, appeared to prefer to philosophize rather than talk about the actual business of Wirecard. Wirecard's communications with both Gutenberg and Spitzberg were completely inadequate for Gutenberg to use uh, in, well, Gutenberg claims in understanding that there were allegations of fraud or lack of transparency. According to Gutenberg, Braun radiated, quote, an amazing calm at a meeting just prior to the collapse of Wirecard. Gutenberg claimed he had no idea he was dealing with a criminal. And he expressed outrage by insinuation from the media that he'd known about Wirecard's problems for a long time. He claimed he was deceived as much as the financial regulators, the analysts, the auditors, and the journalists. Only the journalists weren't actually deceived. And the auditors were complicit, or likely, and some of the analysts also weren't deceived. Ha, okay, but he never imagined that the business of Wirecard was based solely on fraud. Nope. He just helped use his formidable high-level government contacts to help a company, under a blitz of criminal allegations, acquire an entity already known for criminal activity in China— that would ultimately place his longtime family friend as a director of said company. Yeah, How could he possibly suspect anything amiss? Curiously, in his naivete, in April 2020, this is after the deal with Allscore, Gutenberg gast authored an article in a major Frankfurt newspaper titled A Virus Called Short Selling, that whilst not explicitly mentioning Wirecard, Urged that market rumors and negative reports should not be given too much credence. No, really, he knew nothing. Honestly. Okay. So remember, Papa Giorgio. Let's return to him. The IC wanted to understand exactly how the decision-making processes at the Chancellery worked and how it went about determining that it should assist Wirecard with its planned entry into China. Remember. The chancellery, they Google. (laughs) Which companies receive the chancellor's support in their foreign ambitions and which civil servants are considered using, you know, who's responsible for considering these requests and then preparing the actual assistance? Papa George was loaned to the finance department for the chancellery at the very time when Wirecard was, well, dealing with Wirecard, played a central role. He'd also advised in a note from a meeting of the chancellor with wirecard, Marcus Braun, and recommended that the request be cancelled on the grounds of the chancellor's lack of time. As IC chairman Gottschalk observed, "You could have walked off the pitch with this assessment and been a hero if the chancellery had just walked away under Papa Georges' recommendations." for lack of time. But the chancellery didn't. After an hour and a half of questioning Papa Georgiou, the IC decided to reconsider the way forward. As MP Florian Tonkar noted, the witness's testimony shows abnormalities. Papa Georgiou had previously stated that he exchanged views with his former superior in the chancellery, Dr. Sylvia Bosch, 10 days prior to a meeting with Merkel. Now, the mistrust of the IC was aroused because Dr. Bosch attends the chancellery's committee meetings and knows internal issues. In addition, Papa Georgiou suddenly couldn't recall a surprising number of details about these discussions involving Wirecard. This is where the IC asked how the chancellery determined if a German company should have the active support of the German government, and he touted the benefits of Googling. God help us. The IC then turned to another person that they had summoned to testify, Jan Ola Peters, an official in the finance ministry who's also currently on loan to the German embassy in Beijing as a financial expert. And they asked him, okay, how does this work, German representation in Beijing, You advocated a license for Wirecard as a payment service provider for the Chinese market. Where do you fit into all of this? Said Peters. Well, my job is to represent the interests of German companies in China. Ministries routinely send specialist officials to major embassies around the world so they can deal with matters just such as this from their field of expertise. According to Peters, as soon as Wirecard registered an interest in entering the Chinese market in 2018, the embassy took up the case. The embassy supposedly offers such assistance to all German companies in this situation. Peters was careful to stress this. Representatives of Wirecard came to Beijing regularly from then on to advance their cause. The highlight of this apparent was Wirecard met with high-level uh, uh, Chinese officials at a German-Chinese financial market forum in Janu- early January 2019, across January 17th and 18th. In this context, the German side, that is, high-level government officials, advised the Chinese authorities to grant Wirecard the necessary license at this forum. Peters claimed, like so many others actors, stakeholders, in the scandal that he'd not been able to imagine at the time, despite simultaneous reports in the Financial Times and from the short sellers and several German media outlets, how far Wirecard's fraud went. This is January 19, folks. The embassy, therefore, continued its support for market entry for Wirecard even after the stories continued to build. In fact, so much so, They were advocating for wire activities in China all the way up until the day the company collapsed. I mean, does German intelligence never speak to the Chancellor or any of its representatives talk to others in the embassy? Seriously? The IC then called Finance Secretary Wolfgang Schmidt and said, okay, tell us about this. He confirmed that at high-level contacts were inevitable for business success in China. Therefore, it's the task of the Ministry of Finance to provide the support. So we have the chancellery, we have the embassy, and now we have the Ministry of Finance all pitching in to give Wirecard support in China. No, 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 he said. There was no basis on which we could have refused Wirecard's request at that time. Well, Wait a minute. Didn't Papa Georgiou advise against this? No, no, it was a company from the DAX 30 stock market index, and and they wanted to engage in the Chinese market, says Schmidt. And it was precisely for such cases that German-Chinese financial market dialogue, that forum, was intended even before Merkel's trip to China. After all, there were no specific warnings, right? And then he said, because after all, the auditor, EY, and the company had said they'd resolved all, all outstanding questions, so it must have been okay. <laughs> ICMP Matthias Hauer then raised his concern with Schmidt's close relationship with, wait for it, management consultant Ulf Gardska of Spitzberg Partners. Yep, we're back to Gutenberg et al., Quote, Dr. Gartska had attached a draft letter to the Chinese government as a favor to you, Hauer said. Uh, yeah, said Schmidt. It, they did. He did. Yes. Mm. And you also sent the letter, uh, apparently, to essentially your counterpart in China? Is the use of such pre-formulated letters by consultants common practice? Schmidt prevaricated. He said, well, okay, he had asked Gartska to help him draft the letter, you know, to quote, facilitate his work, because, well, you know, Gartzka was better integrated into the subject matter. But but he said, says Schmidt, I didn't copy and paste the text, not not deliberately into the email, but you know, it was late at night, it was a midnight flight, I was I was headed to an important meeting, and so maybe I cut and pasted a little bit of it. Mm -hmm. The IC then turned attention to some representatives of the German government, but not in the IC hearings, specifically in a full Bundestag session. IC member Fabio De Masi asked Chancellor Angela Merkel point blank, "Uh, Chancellor, the Wirecard scandal, just in case you haven't been paying attention, it's the biggest financial balance sheet scandal in German post-war history. A lot of retail investors have lost their entire life savings. There were early international press reports on the machinations of Wirecard, its management, their criminal activities. On the basis of these media reports, uh, I would we noted a diligent official from your chancellery, Mr. Papa Georgiou, even advised you not to meet with Marcus Braun of Wirecard And yet, a short time later, you did, and your government committed themselves to this company in China, and you seemingly spoke directly to the most powerful man in China about Wirecard in their favor. How can it be that you refuse to pay attention to those press reports and campaign for this company in China? Merkel's response. I believe I have detailed, uh, I'll have an opportunity to detail all this to the IC on each of your individual questions. All I can say at this point is that, mm, well, it's very common for me to be discouraged from meeting anyone who asked me to meet for a variety of reasons. So so being told not to meet with this company is not particularly extraordinary. Similarly, companies are always asking me to support them so then it's just a question of certain activities. You know, they're not mutually exclusive. Uh, and the rest of your questions, uh, I'll let those unfold at the IC hearings and through the greater investigation. MP Tonkar, not satisfied with Merkel's response. He said, Chancellor, uh, you know, Dr. Damasi has already mentioned your commitment to Wirecard in China. I'd like to revisit this topic. Wirecard had a history for a decade of purchasing subsidiaries abroad and doing so in large volume because bogus sales could be hidden behind them and because investors could always be sold a success story from these acquisitions. This is exactly what happened when Wirecard acquired Allscore in China. So these acquisitions, they had relevance. Um, In fact, they go straight to the heart of the fraud model. So now... Isn't it true that with respect to Allscore in China, there were already concerns about Wirecard in the Chancellery, which were well known in the public record, i.e. media reports, but that two days before you left for China, one of your former ministers, Zhu Gutenberg, used a personal conversation he was allowed to have with you to advocate for these you championing Wirecard's business activities? And he did this from the sidelines, but only two days before you flew to Beijing. This feels like it wasn't quite so a routine procedure as you've painted to Damasi. Did you actually think this was the right response to Gutenberg's request? You know, in the way that you did. That is, um, would you like to use this moment now as an opportunity to uh, criticize yourself uh, about your commitment to wirecard in china this generated wild applause from the opposition parties in the general bundestag session merkel's response she redirects attention and says for the record today in the bundestag we've discussed a draft law on strengthening financial market integration and and we've drawn conclusions as the federal government on a, on a basis of a variety of points relating to supervisory issues, uh, which, of course, did not not go well at Wirecard, true, Um, but that this was done by the Federal Ministry of Finance and the Federal Minister of Economics, and and, and Zu Gutenberg's visit as a former minister in my cabinet, very common process, very common, uh, very common for people to come to me and tell me something, Uh, I then... Hand it over, essentially, to the experts in in the Chancery. I mean, I say, what do you say about this? And uh, I make such things known on the record. That's why you've been able to read about these meetings. <clears throat> Only there aren't transcripts of these conversations with Gutenberg because they were private. And then Merkel says, You know, I get a recommendation uh, after I've referred it to my experts in the chancellery. and And you know, if I don't have serious concerns, well then i'll I'll go ahead and i'll I'll do something about it. A very standard procedure. And then she pauses and says, I really ask for your understanding. The process is so profound, that is, investigating the mayhem of Wirecard. And, and we have the IC. So maybe evaluate all the specific questions. Let me prepare, let me prepare an answer in, in in depth, and then I'll address them. But I'll do that in front of the IC and not the entire Bundestag. Um, you know, here's the process. A, a visitor comes to the chancellery. They propose something uh, that's that's captured in a file. Uh, it's examined by the specialist. They make a recommendation to me. I often follow those recommendations, sometimes not. And in any case, uh, uh, my decision was made. Tonkor is not buying this. Chancellor, he says, I, I'd like to take the view that Given the two-day lead-up, right before your trip to Visigi where you talked about Wirecard, that it couldn't have been possible for you to verify what Gutenberg told you in any, in any sound manner before you acted. It couldn't possibly have gone to the experts and come back to you with a recommendation before you acted. And you did act. You must also take political responsibility for that risk you took. I mean, the fact is there is no self-criticism coming from you or your finance minister or your minister of economic affairs. In fact, there's talk only about the management of others. I'd like to ask you specifically, who in the federal government of which you are the head bears political responsibility for these processes that should have led to the detection of this fraud? Who is responsible? Who can the public turn to? Whom can the parliament turn to from your point of view? Merkel's response. Well, the federal government has drawn its conclusion from the events, and today, hey, congratulations to us. We passed a draft law on strengthening the financial market integrity and referred it to parliament for a vote. And then, well, the processes can be discussed comprehensively and, and not only retrospectively, you know, uh, you know, lessons for the future. Teachable moments, if you were. If you will. Ugh. Awkward. So awkward. Well, was reform legislation passed? Mm, yes. Sort of. On December 16th, the Bundestag did pass a package of reforms designed to address certain deficiencies in German accounting rules and to shore up some financial reporting obligations. Did they go far enough? Well, here's what they did manage to change. Boffin, there they are, now has some teeth. They can request information from third parties. And listeners, if you missed last week's episode, you really need to listen to it to appreciate these reforms. Okay, so now Boffin has some administrative subpoena powers. They've been granted the authority to conduct some forensic accounting investigations Uh, They can also now inform the market earlier in their process that they're examining a company's financial accounts for potential irregularities, rather than, say, waiting for total implosion. The rules also make it slightly easier to pursue civil actions against auditors, who will now carry slightly greater liability for missing a tick or two, EY. But where the reforms aren't so meaningful, auditors only have to rotate every 10 years, And as Wirecard so capably proves, a lot of fraud can occur in a decade's time. There are also some efforts of reforms of German public servants' conflict of interest disclosures. Again, folks, episode 14. And the Bundestag says it intends, intends, but has not yet promulgated, to require some new control systems around civil servants, particularly those at Boffin having to disclose their holdings in the companies they're regulating but no mention is made of restrictions on former German government ministers. You see, Zahn Gutenberg isn't the only former government minister implicated here. We'll dive into this in depth in a future episode, but Germany's former state secretary of the federal chancellery, you know, Merkel's office, Klaus-Dieter Fritsche, left Merkel's cabinet and joined the private sector. He too, like Gutenberg, consults his clients, the Austrian Federal Ministry of the Interior, and the BVT. Remember episode 11? Fritzsche had used Wirecard companies when in German government for certain activities. He then left German government service, but appears to have worked with the particular Austrian government agencies that Wirecard and Jan Marsalik are directly linked to. The question in the Bundestag, just how does the federal government continuously monitor its former ministers when they move back into the private sector? Is anybody paying attention to what they get up to? Or are they all compromised or compromisable? Now, any number of countries ought to be asking themselves similar questions about their former government officials. Now, regulatory supervisors gambled with Wirecard stock as investors lost their money, and high-level politicking appears to have helped camouflage doubts about Wirecard despite serious allegations being widely known. Some on the IC have asserted outright political corruption. Now, the IC asked the German government representatives, hey, you must have been able to see the outflows of funds and liquidity from Wirecard as it was imploding. Where did the money go? Can you trace who received it and where? The response, if we tell you we'll have to, no. The response was, we can't tell you IC because we've received requests from other countries under the MLAP process to assist them with their investigations. If, you tell, if we tell you where we can see the money having flowed, it may jeopardize those investigations in those other jurisdictions. No mention of who else may have benefited from some of those outflows like former government ministers. Okay, listeners, well, we're out of time, but don't worry. I know I promised porn and gambling. <laughs> we'll just have to pick up from all scores Crimes and Wirecard hitherto Standing Business Model in our next episode in the new year. And speaking of the new year, lie, spies, and corporate crimes, Wirecard the saga. We're going to take a little vacation until after the new year, but let me wish all of you listeners a very safe and healthy new year I think most of us are looking forward to 2021 being a much better year for all of us. So happy holidays to all of you out there. My thanks to Tom Fox, Compliance Evangelist, and the award-winning Compliance Podcast Network. I'm Mikhail Ryder-Gordon with Affiliated Monitors. Thanks for listening. I welcome questions, so feel free to submit them. We'll be back on January 4th with an all-new episode.
0: Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox. I'd like to thank you for listening to this episode of the Wirecard Saga. As Mikhail said, we will be on hiatus until uh, the week of January 11th, so I hope you have a very safe holiday season and a very joyous uh, new year as well. Uh, I personally can't wait for 2020 to be over, and uh, you may feel the same way too. The Wirecard Saga is a special production of the Compliance Podcast Network and a proud member of C-Suite Radio. Thanks so much for listening, and we look forward to visiting with you again in the new year.